Tanya Piyuta Sivon is the beginning of chapter 7 of Shari Yechid Vemunah. Chapter 7, the Altarebbe now moves on to explain what he wrote in the beginning of the first chapter, that the objective of Shari Yechid Vemunah is to explain the statement that the Zayar makes, that Shema Yisrael HaShem Alekinu HaShem Echad represents the idea of Yechudi Eilol, and Baruch Shem Kveid Malchus Eilol represents Yechudi Tatov. That this idea is a very deep idea, and Chapter 7 is going to really flesh out a very, very deep concept when we speak about God's unity. So to understand this just a bit, we've explained till now, or the has explained for us till now, how really all existence is a bottle, is ein oid, has no existence when it comes to God. It's only because of Midas HaGvura, God's Midas HaGvura, does there have, there's the possibility for us to at least perceive, to be conscious of our existence as being some existence. But in relationship to God, we don't have that independent existence. It's only in relationship to Tachtainim. Now the question becomes, so what's the objective here? Why is that the case? Why is it that in Oilam, in existence, Oilam here is an idea of existence, do we actually perceive, true, God created us that way, but what's, what's the objective here? And seemingly, if we're trying to understand the unification of God, how God is the ultimate and only power. So then why is it that we do have this type of dualistic sense of existence? On the one hand, we know that God is the only existence and we only exist within God as the sunlight within the sun, as Alter Rebbe has explained a number of times. But at the same time, God wants us to perceive our own existence. How does that work? And through understanding that, we'll understand that there's really two different realms of consciousness, so to speak, even within our perception. There's the realm of consciousness which we do perceive ourselves as existing in our, and to some extent in our own um, consciousness, where we feel that we exist or we sense that there's an existence, and yet we know and recognize that our only existence is dependent on God. And then there's even a deeper level where there isn't even that perceived existence, where there isn't even the possibility for there to be an existence of a perceived existence. And it's purely just God. In other words, Yichud, the concept of unification, when you talk about unification, you can understand unification on two levels. You can understand unification in a way where the parts become unified as a single entity, but there's still a sense of things being parts. You bring together a puzzle of, and put the pieces together, you still see each piece of the puzzle as separate entities now being brought together as a single unified entity. So that's a unification of everything. But it's unification with yet identifications of parts. That's not true unity. True unity is when there is no parts, where you tap back into a source of something where on the source there's not even parts. There's no separation to begin with. There's no even possibility for there to be parts. And when we're talking about God and creation and existence, our existence, our creation, our perception of existence, likewise there could be these two forms. We could recognize that we're just like the sunlight within the sun, but yet we still somehow perceive ourselves as being parts of a big puzzle. And then there is the transcendent state, which is the way it is within the realm of God, the Kula Kameh, within the perspective of God, which is that in the truth is that there is nothing of even parts. There isn't even the power of us to even perceive ourselves as existing independently. 
Meaning within God himself, there isn't that ability anyway. We don't, for God, there is not that perception. But even within us, there isn't that perception. So to begin this process, the Altarebbe first addresses the statement of the Zayar and explains why is it that Shema Yisrael Zichudi Yilam Baruch Shem Kveh Nochus Yisichudi Tato. So he says, because the word Liyelam Vod Vod, when you exchange the letters based on different ways of letters being exchanged of the alphabets, you have Vod is Echod. But since it's already coming through a change and a, and a reconfiguration of letters, so once we do that, as explained already earlier, that already creates a lower form of energy. It's already where the energy has to, had to be mutated, so to speak. Since there's a mutation in the energy, so therefore it already brings about some sort of mitzias or perce- perception of mitzias. And therefore already loses a little bit of its ultimate unity, ultimate yichud. And, and therefore the difference would be, as Al-Tarab will explain, is that the lower level of unity, which is the void, the oisiyais, the chalufi asvan of echad, is where there's spheres, there's perception of spheres and somewhat of existence. And on that level, there could be your bottle b'mitzias, there's, 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 there's technically a bitl b'mitzias in the Aryan self, but nevertheless, there's still the fact that there is spheres and there is these pieces of the puzzle. So to understand all of this concept, Dr. Rebbe first introduces where this all stems from, this distinction. Where does this distinction begin? Dr. Rebbe says it begins with Midas Malchus Yisbar, from God's attribute of Malchus. As we've seen earlier, the two main forces of creation is Chesed and Gvur, which we have no perception of, even Meishu Rabbeinu has no perception of, as Dr. Rebbe mentioned, and therefore even Meishu Rabbeinu never perceived and therefore was never able to really go beyond the point of sensing independent existence on some level. Because not being able to perceive the true source of existence, which is the levels of chesed and gvura, you therefore are stuck below that, which is where you feel in the, some level of existence. However, the Rebbe says, when we start dealing with oilam, oilam means space and time, when you start dealing with things which begin to take on a shape or a form or a sense of existence, Eilam Shana Nefesh, that already is coming from much lower elements of God's spheres, Malchus. It's lower on one level, but it's higher on another level. It's the power of creation on another level. And the power of Malchus is that, number one, there is a perception of there to being our, ourselves as existing. And the reason is, is because primarily the power of Malchus, the meat of Malchus, personifies this idea that there has to be independent existence. What does that mean? So the author explains, based on a statement that's brought in the earlier Rishonim, that is a concept of Ein Melech Am. A king doesn't become, is not a king without a nation. And what does it mean a nation? Doesn't mean people who are close to him, doesn't mean his children. A king is not a king over his children or his close ministers or people of stature. It's on people that are far distant from him. What shows the power of a king? What does a king do? A king shows rulership control, being able to direct, that's the power of a king. Where does that, where is that brought out? That's only brought out by things which are things which are far distant, removed from the king. And that's why we have a statement that says that only when you have the, a great majority of people could the glory of the king be shown because it shows the great control the great element of the Adnus HaMelech, the, 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 the rulership of the king, 
is when there's so many people, and not just there's so many people, but so many far distant people. People that sense their independence and yet are completely bottled, completely given over to the control and the whim, so to speak, of the king. And that's precisely the Midas HaMalchus of God. Midas HaMalchus requires that there should be something that exists. As I'll will explain in tomorrow's Tanya, that that's why Midas HaMalchus brings about that there should be a state of Olam, that there should be time and space, that there should be something that already is perceived as something existing independent of God. But more fundamental is the Midas HaMalchus brings about that there should be things that exist. So sometimes you have a person who becomes a king over people, and sometimes the king creates the people that he can become king over. In truth, we know that we say, God is already king before any other existence, but that's in a state of hell, and that's in a concealed state. Here, God wants to reveal, as the says, here God wants to reveal his Midas HaMalchus, which here, basically what the Rebbe is saying is, that based on the different spheres, the different attributes of God, there's a different motivation, so to speak, for creation, for existence. In other words, in the world of chesed, the purpose is tevat tevlohetiv, as Alter Rebbe mentioned in chapter 3. That since God's nature is good, he wants to create existences, things that exist, because of tevat tevlohetiv. So from the, world of, from, the, of, from the viewpoint of chesed, the purpose of creation is tevat tevlohetiv. The purpose of creation from Malchus is to reveal the power of Malchus and God. Since God has these powers, truthfully speaking, God has infinite powers, much greater than these ten spheres. But within the realms of creation, there's these ten general forces and then ten general potential, um, if you want to say, personalities or ways of expression. So the expression of Malchus is to reveal the power of Admus, the power of being a, a king, being, being a ruler. And that is only fully personified or brought out once there is an Am. So true, but it's not in a way of revelation. It's not Begilui. It's not and this is the power of Midas HaMalchus. And as Al-Tabba will continue in tomorrow's Tanya by explaining that the truth, that the truth is that Midas HaMalchus, before Midas HaMalchus, there is no existence of anything. There's nothing that exists independence. Only Malchus brings about that sense of independence. And even with that, since Malchus is really one with God, and time, space is really not an existence in itself, therefore you have this concept of Yichud, Yichud where there could be something that perceives itself as existing within time and space, but really, it's recognizing that the only source of time and space is Malchus when Malchus is unified with God. Says Al-Tarev, now we could begin to understand the next stage of this process of Shai Chavim would explain the concept of unity of God. says the on the because the word Echod is the same as Echod Aspan in the mutations of the letters. When you mutate the letters, the Aleph exchanges with the Vav. And likewise, the different letters are exchanged based on the different configurations you have from Void, you have Echad. But precisely because there's this change of mutations, you could have a lower form of energy. Kihine, now we can begin to understand this whole process. What was the reason for the Tzimtzum? So till now, Dr. just said there's a power of Gur, there's a power of Tzimtzum. And that makes us feel independent. But what's the purpose? What was the driving force behind that? Why does God want us to feel independent? 
Why does God want us to feel that we have a sense of self? So the purpose of It's well known. The purpose of revealing God's ability of Malchus. Because a king is not a king without a nation. Pirish, what is Like embers. Things which are so far removed from the element of a king. That's where true kingdom is, which logically makes sense. Would a person say he's a king over himself? No. Is a father a king over his children? No, because they're so part of him, it doesn't show any power of kingship. It's only things which are so far and distant from him that seems to have independence from him, yet they still are subservient to him, shows the true power of a king. Because even if the king had many children, you can't say that they are, he's a king of them because they're part of him. They're the same essence. Like being a king over yourself doesn't make sense. Even on great ministers, even that's not really considered a king because, again, they're very close, they're very on the same level, so to speak, the same wavelength on some level. It's only when there's the multiplicity of people and separateness could there be a concept of king. What name personifies Malchus? That's the, letters of, the letter of Hashem's name. As we know, the names of Hashem relate to specific attributes and specific energies of God. God, God, to say God is different, there's different names of God, represents different gods. But there's different spheres, and since the spheres which are one with God are unified with God, as Alter will mention in the later chapters in Shaykh Femuna, but there's different forms of expression. So God is defined, his names are defining his different forms of expression. Like, for example, if a person is a wise person, so when you want to define him, you're going to say he's a chacham. If a person is a, is a, is a kind person, you're going to say he's a chazdan. The names don't limit the person, it represents a certain expression of the person. By God, not only does the names not limit him or define him, they're really just on a lower level of us to be able to relate to him, do we have this concept of name. And the concept of a name is this idea of this expression. So what's Malchus? What's, what's the name of Malchus? What's the meat of Malchus personified? What, is, what expresses means of Malchus is the shame Adnai, which is which literally means the ruler of the earth. So it comes out this midah, this attribute, and this expression, and this name, gives existence to the worldliest in the way that they should exist now as a yej gomer v'davar nifrafayatzmi, as literally feeling, not just sensing, but actually feeling, being independent. The any bottom and see are not being completely losing their independence. And this power is really stemming from a much higher source, which is the Midah of Atmos, which Al-Tarebbe will discuss in Yigeris HaKadosh. But in terms of the relationship to Malchus, Malchus brings out this concept that there could be an existence that feels itself existing besides God. Because if there will be a cessation, a stopping of this Midah and this name being expressed, the world will revert back to its natural state, which is meaning it will revert back to a state of nothingness, or its true state, which is a word, the Word of God. Now here the Al-Tarebbe doesn't say, as he mentions in chapter 3, that there will be bottle, 
and all that. Because here he's not defining the state of existence in the way of creation. He's describing that the world will could still exist. Because there's still a Dvar Hashem that's Mechaya. The world, the world will still exist. And therefore it's not going to revert back to nothing. We're not saying that the Dvar Hashem is going to stop. Because earlier in chapter 3 he's talking about where the, world, the word of Hashem is going to stop. Here the word of Hashem is not going to stop. But nevertheless, the identity of Olam as being a Dvar Nifrit La'atzmai, that won't be. The concept, so there's two stages. There's the Dvar Hashem, which gives life and creates existence. Oilam, or not Oilam, existence. But that existence is completely bottled to Hashem. In order for that existence to sense a state of Oilam, a state of independence, that needs me to Samachos and Shem Annai. Not Shem Avai, because that makes Bittel, Shem Annai. And if that would stop, It'll revert not back to nothing this time, Vephis Mamish, it'll revert back to the state of just existence of Dvar Hashem, which will be like the light of the sun within the sun that doesn't have any independent existence of itself.